Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. going to have our seats and we're going to get into the word of God. Welcome to church. Can you welcome someone beside you? Say welcome to church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's good to see every single one of you. Service. This is the first Sunday service in 2024. Welcome to your year of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, very quickly, I shared the course outline for you on Wednesday. So today I'm going to do inspection. Show me your Bibles, everybody. New Year, new me. Physical Bibles, quickly, quickly. How about your notepads? Okay, yours was in the bag. (laughs) Notepads? Let me see. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, if you don't have one, those of you online, those of you in person, get a notepad, a new one, if possible. If you have one you're using already, continue to use that. Get a physical Bible. All right? All right. So, this year, you're sponsored by the Spirit. Do you believe? All right. You do big things easy. Do you believe? Hallelujah. All right. Open your Bibles, everybody. Philippians chapter 1. And verse 21. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. At Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, can we read together? One, two, go. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Who is speaking? The apostle Paul, who is he speaking to? The church in Philippi. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a man who has come to a point in his life where he believes that living is for Christ and dying is gain because he will actually go be with Christ. Amen. And in the next verse, he says, next verse, media. No, next verse, not previous verse. (laughs) Okay, maybe I'll just read from here. It says, but if I live on in the flesh, this would mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23. Come here together. I want to go. I am hard pressed between two. Wait. Are you ready to read? Alright, let's read together. I want to go. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Next verse. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for who is the you there? For who? The church in Philippi and by extension you. Amen? As a believer. Next verse. It says, and being confident of this very thing, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith. Hallelujah. So, the Apostle Paul is confident that if he stays with the church in Philippi, they would experience progress. Say progress. And join the faith. The Greek word for progress there is prokope. And what does it mean? Advancement. And so just like Paul wants to say with his church in Philippi, every pastor, every ministry gift with his church congregation 
The expected outcome is progress and joy in the faith. There must be advancement. There must be progress. What is progress? It's talking about a, a measurable track record of increase in the faith. Well, have you been going to church all your life? Can you measure progress in the faith? Because progress is measurable. It's not progress if you cannot measure it. Please, are you following me? It's not progress if you cannot what? Measure it. So progress is measurable. Is that your expectation for 2024? Say, I experience progress. Say, I experience progress. That after a couple of months, you can look at yourself and say, what has improved in my life in 2024? Am I praying better in 2024? Am I, am I studying better in 2024? Amen. Is my attitude to the word different in 2024? That's progress. What is joy in the faith? Joy in the faith is our attitude towards the things of God. It's that delightful experience you have to the things of God. So, it's not just enough that you experience progress in the faith. But it's important that you experience what? Joy in the faith. That I'm always delighted about the things of the spirit. The things of God are not always dutiful to me. They are delightful to me. I'm not going to be forced to study the Bible. No. I want to because it is joy. He says this is the outcome of having a ministry gift. Staying with you and continuing with you. Praise Jesus. This is the outcome of having a pastor. This is the outcome of being a part of a local assembly. This is the outcome of the curriculum I gave to you on Thursday. Amen. How many of you streamed Thursday service? How many of you were here? Then those of you that were not here, did you stream? Well, one of the things I thought is, you know, at the beginning of a semester, your, your lecturer, your professor, your teacher gives you a course outline. The reason is to help you plan for the new year. And so on Thursday, I helped you prepare. And one of the ways I'm helping you prepare for this year is to teach you that there is a lot, there is a curriculum. And if you don't follow that curriculum, you can't learn all that God has for you this year. So you have to plan for it. You have to plan to be at every service, every Sunday service, every Thursday service, you must plan to attend. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. You know, I said on Thursday, I said your first class begins from your first class. How many of you know that statement? That phrase. Well, they used to say it in the university. It means the way you start out something dictates how it is for you throughout. So the way you start the year dictates how you would go about it for the rest of the year. If you start this year taking good notes, being at every service, you know, participating in service, coming to service early. I put space in that one so that people know I'm talking to you. The way you prepare from the beginning help you through. You can build momentum as you go on in the rest of the year. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. The Bible says, and he himself gave some to be apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what reason? Well, verse 12 tells you why. 
It says, for the equipping of the saints. So, who are the people that Christ gave to the church? Pastors, prophets, evangelists. Amen? These men didn't call themselves. They are God's gift to you. If you take them for granted, well, you can't receive all God has for you through them. Please, are you listening to me? God gave you men. God's strategy for the growth of men is other men. Are you listening to me? God's strategy for your spiritual growth is under a man that he has sent to you in his body, the church. God's plan for your growth is not isolation. It's not I can seek God on my own. No. God's plan for your spiritual good. He says he gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. The word equipping there is for the building of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. The Greek word perfecting there is katatismos. What does katatismos mean? It means furnishing. How many of you have ever seen you know, when they fall a tree in the forest. Have you seen any pictures of that before? Or any videos of, you know, them falling tree in the forest? Well, if you take that and you sit on it, would it be comfortable? Now, there's a furnishing that that tree is going to experience. They will take it, take it and put it through a machine that will smoothen it, that would cut it into shape. After that, there's a filing in Nigeria, we call it sandpaper. <laughs> there's a filing that it would go through to make it smooth. And after that, there's a painting, a spray painting that would make it that color that you see. And some of them, there's another panel they will put on it that forms what you see as your furniture. And then finally, when it becomes everything that they've made it. Let me use an example. Let me use this chair. Just a minute. This year, I want to be very practical. So, this looks very smooth, doesn't it? Right? But at the beginning, it wasn't this smooth. It was a tree. It was rough. But right now it looks smooth because some work has been done on it. Someone has filed it. Someone has painted it. Someone has coated it with something that makes it this shiny. Are you getting what I'm saying? That is catatismos. He says he gave you ministry gifts for the equipping of the saints. That's for the catatismos, for the perfecting, for the furnishing. Have you ever rented an apartment that is not furnished before? Let me even ask you a question. Have you slept on the floor before? Oh my God. That's when you will know the importance of bed. <laughs> Amen? When you move into an unfurnished apartment, you see that it's not enough to just have a house. You must have a furnished house. Are you listening to me? You must have what? One of the ways I knew this was you know, we were setting up a, a place and then I started seeing all the things we were buying, those little, little things. I'm like, Wow. So, the house is not complete until there's a curtain. We even thought we set it up. Then someone said, the vent from downstairs is not coming upstairs. This place is too hot. We have to get a space heater. All of that is part of furnishing. To ensure that it is habitable. So, God has sent people to do that furnishing in you. To make you an effective believer. Amen? I told you on Thursday. I said, in Christianity, there is a direction. And it's always upward. Meaning that when you get saved, you must always be growing. You will never come to a point in your work with God that you will not need to grow. No matter how old you are. Even if you are a 70 year old believer. You would always need the word of God. You would always need furnishing. You're, it's always upward motion. Please, are you following me? 
Are you following me? He says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. He says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Greek word for edifying there, how many of you know it? Who can guess? Greek word edifying. Oikodomio, I've said it many times. Oikodomio, it's a construction term that means to lay brick upon brick. This is what God wants pastors, prophets, evangelists to do in your life. Is this going to be your reality in 2024? That you are built up like an edifice. What's an edifice? An edifice is a gigantic structure. No Windsor, we can't relate. But Toronto, what? They have edifice. <laughs> Edifices. <laughs> Amen? We're in a building in Toronto, 31 stories. I looked down. I said, this is rough play. Nigerians don't play like this. And everything at the right is, is glass. So if I just... Ah, please, oh. <laughs> Amen. They had gigantic structure. That's an edifice. So he says you are built up by ministry gifts. Edified. Edified. He says ministry gifts are given for the edification of the body of Christ. He says in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith. To the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man. Are you going to be a perfect man this year? He says to a perfect man. To the measure of stature. Of fullness of Christ. I think it's KJV that says. Till we come to maturity. So my prayer for you. Is that you come to maturity. In 2024. In the name of Jesus. By the teaching of the word of God. And by the ministry of the spirit. You will come to maturity. In the name of Jesus, you would be built up by every teaching of the word of God in 2023. It's going to be a year of growth as the Lord has told us. In the name of Jesus. So listen, all the teachings have been curated for this. Oh, please. As it's been prepared for you, prepare for it. Hallelujah. So as we go on in 2024, one of the things God wants to teach us is how to partner with him through the spirit. It's part of that furnishing. The theme of the year is what? It's the year of the Holy Ghost. We are sponsored by the spirit. God wants to teach us to be more conscious of his spirit. Maybe last year you weren't as conscious of the spirit and its effects. But in 2024, he wants to teach you how to walk with the spirit. If you haven't listened to any of our Holy Ghost series in the Catholic Church, well, it's a prerequisite to this sermon. So go on the podcast, the Catholic community, I believe, and find the Holy Ghost series. Listen to them. We've done a foundational teaching on that. Amen? So it's a prerequisite to this. But listen, God wants to teach you how to work with him. He wants to help you. He wants to sponsor you. Because when you have the Holy Ghost, you have everything. Did you hear what I said? Say, when I have the Holy Ghost, I have everything. Say, when I have the Holy Ghost, I have everything. God wants to sponsor you. You know, it doesn't matter what you have if you don't know you have it. You've had the same Holy Ghost since you got saved. But God wants to teach you how to take advantage of that Holy Ghost you have. God wants you to be conscious of his spirit this year. God wants to teach you step by step. He wants to lead you step by step. 
He wants to speak his voice in your ear and you would hear him speak. He wants to lead you as a good shepherd. He wants to take you on a journey of obedience with him and all of it through his spirit. Amen. You're going to learn to walk by the spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? All spiritual blessings. So you have spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings there is what? Pneumaticals blessings. I taught you this in a camp meeting, right? Blessings accrued to the believer because of the indwelling of the spirit. Are you listening to me? Well, do you know how to take advantage of it? God wants to take you on a school of the spirit in 2024. Are you listening to me? He wants to take you on what? A school of the spirit. There's a way of life of a man of the spirit. There are nuances of a man of the spirit. There are things that should be evident in the life of a man of the spirit. There are things that should be dead in the life of a man of the spirit. God wants to make you become like that man who is a man of the spirit. He wants to transform you. He wants to morph you. He wants to cause a metamorphosis to happen in you. To change you. From the man you are now to a man of the spirit. Please, are you listening to me? There are cultures of a man of the spirit. There are expectations of a man of the spirit. A man of the spirit is perfect for every situation. A man of the spirit is a man of prayer. A man of the spirit is a man of the word. A man of the spirit is a man of consecration. A man of the spirit is a man of discipline. God wants to transform you into a man of the spirit. Are you listening to me? And so every training, every teaching in this year is to make you morph into God's idea of you. Is to morph you into God's picture of you. Is to mold you into God's idea of you. It's God's plan for you this year. So if you're open, like a tender clay, God wants to be a potter, mending, molding you into that perfect image. Please, are you listening to me? Into what? That perfect image. That's what God wants to do in your life. Imagine someone walks into this room wearing a tux looking cleaned up hair well cut everything combed looking really nice and then he says oh my god guys I think I've given this example before guys you won't believe what just happened to me I fought a lion and it was a very tough battle I struggled I struggled I almost lost my life and even the lion almost lost his life you're like but I managed to escape I was just, I'm just coming from there what would you think but a lion and you are looking so clean in a tux well you, you clearly tell him you don't look like what you are going through you don't look like what you've been through are you listening to me someone cannot tell you that I got hit by a truck and you don't see the effect in his body someone cannot tell you I fell off a three story building and he just looks normal no it means that if the impact of something gets to you, it is evident in how you look. Are you listening to me? There must be evident in your life the impact of the indwelling of the Spirit. Can we discern that she's... She, ah, this lady, she walks by the Spirit. Can we discern that this guy is a man of the Spirit? Are you listening to me? You know, there are, there, there are stories. People think it's only for specific types of Christians. No. I say, ah, there was a time in my life don't, don't play with tomorrow. Honor the grace of his life. And people say that about you. 
that I needed a word one time and Maro just told me that God said he should tell me this. That's, that's, that's a nuance of a man of the spirit. The Lord said to tell you while I was praying for you. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? Those are nuances men of the spirit. A man of the spirit is a man who spends time with God. So God wants to morph you into that idea of him. There are some things that cannot come out of the mouth of a man of the spirit. Are you listening to me? That same reaction we gave that guy on the talks is the same reaction we give every person who says, I'm a man of the spirit and it's not evident in his life. Are you listening to me? Well, we say you don't look like it. You don't act like it. Amen. Now, heads up. This year is a year of instruction and correction. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that a man of God may be thoroughly furnished, furnished unto what? All good works. So from the word of God, you can be instructed. And your reception to it is not because pastor said it's because he instructed me from the word of God. Amen. And so your response is not, I'm angry that pastor is saying it is that I'm open to receive the correction from the word of God. Amen. There are certain things that must be corrected in the life of a man of the spirit. Who you are is different from who you are supposed to be in the culture you are living. You are not trying to fit into the culture you are living. You are trying to stand out as the man of man in Christ and man of the spirit that you are. So when I say certain nuances, I know what I'm talking about. For example, we still have many believers who are still comfortable using curse words. I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just instructing. Amen? Those are things you need to begin to switch as a work is being done in you. Nuances, ideas, thoughts, things that were comfortable before no longer become comfortable. Please, are you listening to me? You must look like what has happened to you. The spirit cannot be living in you and you don't look like it. Please, are you listening to me? We must see the evidence. As much as we speak about grace and the coming of Christ and say, oh, come to Christ as you are. There must be obvious results when you meet Christ. We tell everybody the church is open. Come to Christ as you are. That is true. But you cannot stay as you are. Do you hear me? Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Let your meeting with Christ influence you. Morph. Morph. You know, I wanted to call this I wanted to call this whole series metamorphosis at first. I was like, you know what, let's keep it simple. Make it of a man of his spirit. Because you have to be translated, transformed into that man. You have to be conscious of it. Hallelujah. You have to be conscious of it. In John chapter 3 verse 2, a man came to Jesus to ask him a question very similar. Open your Bibles, John chapter 3 and verse 2. The Bible says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. He didn't ask Jesus this question. Jesus read the intent of his mind. Are you getting what I'm saying? He was asking, how can a man 
be born again? It's almost the same question. How can a man become that man of a spirit? That was the same question he was asking. How can a man become what I'm seeing you do, Jesus? He had seen Jesus do things. He knew that Jesus was calling people into his kingdom. So he was saying, how can a man be born again? And what did Jesus say in verse 3? Can you read together? Everybody wants to go. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is what? Jesus is talking about a change, a morph, a transformation. He says, unless one is what? Born again. What it means to be born again there is to be born from above. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot end, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again? How can he be born again when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Verse 5. What did he say? Want to go? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Next verse. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Verse 7. You must be born again. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Oh, So Nicodemus is asking, how can a man be morphed? How can a man enter into God's family? How can a man be born again? How can a man become a man of the Spirit? How? And Jesus says, unless a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I've taught you this before. Well, that that text there was not saying that unless a man is baptized with water and of the Spirit. No. I taught you about a principle of Bible interpretation in the Greek called TSKS rule or Granville Sharps rule. I would, I would give you some time to write that. Granville Sharps rule. What did I call it? Granville Sharps rule. Now, what does Granville Sharps rule states? Granville Sharps rule states that when you are describing something or someone and they are connected by the Greek word kai. Kai is K-A-I. If the first word or the second word is preceded by V, T-H-E. Is everybody following me? I'll, st- I'll start again. The Grandview Sharp Truth states that when you're describing someone or something and they are connected by Kai, by the word Kai, the Greek word Kai. If the first word has the word D before it, or that's D, the first one, the first word only has the word D in front of it, or the second word only has the word D in front of it, they are talking about the same thing. Are you listening to me? That is, if any of the two words are preceded by the word D, they are talking about the same thing. And if both of them are, they are not talking about the same thing. Meaning, either the first or the second must be preceded by the word the. Are you getting this? Is this clear to everybody? I'll give you an example in English. It's a Greek principle, but I'll give you an example in English. If I say, I saw the founder 
and the sponsor of the football club when I came in. Does Grandview Sharps rule apply? No. Because I use D in both. But if I say I saw the founder and sponsor of the football club, Mr. Columbus, I might talk about two different people. Does Grandview Sharps rule apply? Why? Because B preceded the first one, but not the second. And so the rule states that if this happens, I'm talking about the same person. Let me give you an, another example. Or let me take that example again. If I say, I saw the founder and the sponsor of the football club while coming in. Did I see one or two people? Two. Does that sound good in English as well? But if I say, I saw the founder and sponsor of the football club while I was coming in. Am I talking of two or one person? So, when you have the word kai, in English that's and, in the middle, describing someone or something, and the word the precedes the first one only, or the second one only, is describing the same person. Does this make sense to everybody? Alright, let's go back to that text. Amen. Verse 5. Are you ready to read with me? <clears throat> Alright, let's read together. One, two, go. Alright, let's take it again. One, two, go. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and... So, rather than thinking he's talking about two different things, and there changes to which is. Because he's talking about the same thing. Please, does this make sense to everybody? Who is lost? Nobody? Alright, so let's read this. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, or water which is the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus' answer to that metamorphosis? To that change? To that being born again? How is it going to happen? By the spirit. Please, are you listening to me? Does that make sense to everybody? So Jesus is describing salvation here. He's describing new birth here. And he's saying being born again, being born into the family of God, happens by who? By the Spirit. Remember Nicodemus' question. He says, how can a man be born again? How can this transformation happen? Well, Jesus says, unless you are born of the Spirit, this cannot happen. Are you listening to me? Unless you are born of the Spirit, this cannot what? Happen. And water there is a metaphor for the Spirit. That's why he used water. Water which is the Spirit. That is the same way, you know, they try to paint a picture of salvation in water baptism by immersing you in water. The real thing is what happens by the Spirit. You are immersed into the Spirit. This is how a man of the Spirit is born. So this gives, this makes you understand that being born again is equal to being a man of the spirit. Being saved is equal to being a man of the spirit. Because you are born of the spirit. Does this make sense to everybody? The spirit makes new birth possible. A man that is born again is a man of the spirit. New birth is the work of the spirit. Because are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? It's a different kind of birth that occurred in the spirit of a man when he chose Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Remember that text, Ephesians chapter 1. It says, it says, and you, what's the word again? Text is in my head. Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's 13. It says, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed, you were what? Sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. Meaning the moment you got saved, you were sealed. Do you see that? 
You were born again. You were born from above. You were morphed. You were translated. You were transformed. You were changed. This kind of transformation does not happen to you and you remain the same. It's synonymous to being hit by a truck and not having any effect in your body. The Holy Spirit cannot come and live inside of you and things don't change in your life. Are you listening to me? There must be a change in your life. There must be a transformation. The Spirit is God's agent. And so if a believer is born of the Spirit, the believer is spiritual. The believer is a man of the Spirit. Say I'm a man of the Spirit. Say I'm a man of the Spirit. Do you believe that? Can you say it like you believe it? I'm a man of the Spirit. I'm born of the Spirit. Hallelujah. I've been translated. I've been morphed into a man of the Spirit. Not just a natural, carnal, fleshy man. I'm a man of the Spirit. God's Spirit came inside me and made my spirit new. How did it happen? Well, Jesus said, the wind blew it where he wants and nowhere, no one knows where it comes from. Meaning, you might not understand the workings of how that happened. But just know that the Spirit makes you new. That's what the Bible says. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have what? Become new. Are you listening to me? John chapter 7 and verse 37. So, remember, this is a, an introduction because I can teach you the makings of a man of the Spirit without even telling you how you become a man of the Spirit in the first place. You see what I'm doing? So, this is even understanding who is a man of the Spirit and how do you become a man of the Spirit. This is the most basic thing ever here. I'm putting it in the simplest way, but it's also one of the most impactful teachings you ever hear. Are you listening to me? John chapter 7 verse 37. Are you ready to read with me, everybody? Are you ready to read with me, everybody? Alright, let's read together. I want to go. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Next verse. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow what? Rivers. Wow. This is powerful. You might not understand this if you don't do proper exegesis. How many of you have listened to our growth series? I gave you an assignment last week to listen to the growth series. 12 parts. No, 14 parts. How many of you? 15 actually. How many of you did it? Only one. Some. Okay, so before next week, I'll ask again. I'll ask again. Claire? 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 Good. Claire? Omotayo? Claire? I want all of you to say it now before the Lord so that when I ask you next week, I have evidence. <laughs> Claire? Maru, you are not studying. Claire? Claire? Victory? Claire? Alright. Is this... Let's go back to the first text. I, I want to show you something. And what I want to explain to you is what was going on here. It says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried and said, if any man thirst, you have to understand what was going on here to really understand what happened in this text. They were doing a feast. And I didn't prepare to say this, but I'll give you a brief description of that feast. I think it was, a, it was the last day of a great feast, a feast that was instructed to them in Leviticus to do. 
So God instructed them in Leviticus to do a feast. And that feast was supposed to be a celebration of God bringing them out of Egypt. The last day of that feast is supposed to be the greatest. You see, historians had a quote, something that says that no greater feast has ever been seen. You've not experienced true joy until you experience this last day of the feast. That was how exciting this was. And what would they do on the last day of the feast? They would go to a, a river and they would take from the river water and they would put it on their head and they would keep shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they would pour it into a bigger bowl of water. Then the high priest would take from that bowl of water and now start reading a psalm to them and pouring from that water into them saying, you know, if they were crying, Hosanna, save us. And he starts saying, you know that text that says from joy we withdraw from the well of salvation. So he was signifying that they were going to get salvation from that big pot into all of them and they were rejoicing and dancing around. So imagine all of them were shouting, Hosanna. And Hosanna means save us, save us, save us. The Lord who saves, save us. And then they will pour water to signify salvation and the priest will be giving them salvation. That God is the one who saves you. God is the one who saves you. God is the one who saves you. Now imagine, this is happening. And Jesus is like this. Waiting for them. Then goes, if any man thirsts, ah, do you know what that means? If you are thirsty for salvation, this water you are crying for, if you want it, he says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Are you getting the, the picture? So that water that you are telling a story of, I have it. I have it in abundance. He says, let him come to me and drink. Next verse. He who, so he's telling them how they will drink. Are you seeing this? He's telling them how what? How they will drink. He says, he who believes in me. As the scriptures has said, out of his heart, he says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. Next verse. Next verse, quickly. Can we read together? I want to go. Oh, the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus. Oh, so does this make sense to you now? They didn't have the Holy Ghost. So he says that they should come to him and drink. That water is what? The Spirit. They were crying for salvation. Meaning a cry for salvation is a cry for the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that causes you to be saved. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? He says, come to me and drink. He who believes out of his bellies. So, when you believe, that river that Jesus has is going to come in you and create a well. Hey, are you listening to me? It's going to come in you and create a well. You now will have a spring of water in you. No longer will you need external water. You have a spring in you. Do you know what a spring is? A spring is a source of water that gushes out water. You don't know where the water is coming from, but it gushes out water. Jesus said, come to me and drink. But when you drink, you become a spring. Water starts flowing out of you. So, as a believer, you are not crying for new water. The moment you got saved, a spring was created in you. 
So when you say, out of my belly is flow. Are you seeing this? He says, he that thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes that scripture has said, the moment you believe, he says, out of his belly shall flow what? Say, out of my belly shall flow rivers of living waters. Say, out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. Can you say it like you mean? It's out of my belly shall flow rivers of living waters. Are you listening? You have a spring of living water. You have it in you. So, every expression you carry out by that spirit inside of you is a well of living water. You don't get it. Are you listening to me? You've got a well. You've got a well. You've got a well. Jesus was at Jacob's well. You know that song? Jacob's well. I listened to it again. I remember that I realized that they were actually teaching what I taught you about Jacob's well. Jacob's well was the sustenance of Jacob and his family. That was how they got life. Jesus intentionally went to sit down there and waited for the woman. Jesus is a, is a teacher. He's a great... Yeah, see, if you use Jesus' analogy, you don't need to create new analogy. He sat down on Jacob's well and the woman came. He said, give me to drink. I, this is what I'm saying. Then the woman responded to him. He says, if you know who is speaking to you, you would ask him to give you what? Living water. So, you know of this well to be the sustenance of your generation and your lineage. I'm going to be, I'm going to give you a different water that will sustain you forever. Are you listening to me? She said, the woman thought he was still talking about that well. He said, you don't have anything to draw from. Jesus said, I'll give you a water you will never test again. Are you saying water as a metaphor for the spirit here? I will give you salvation. Something, Jacob's well sustained you. I will give you something that will sustain you forever. You will never need any other sustenance because it will create in you a spring. So Jacob's well is only a picture the real spirit. Are you listening to me? That's it. So out of your belly will flow. Now that you're saved, there's a spring. There's a spring. That's why you can sing songs like, out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let it flow, let it flow. Let it flow. Some of you this year to stop singing some songs. Amen. You need to stop. People will fight me for this. But God has filled your cup. Hey, are you listening to me? I'm not singing my cup. I lift it up, Lord. When he gave you the spirit, he created in you a well. So take from within and put upon. You can stir it up and overflow. It says, out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. I'm teaching you who a man of the spirit is. You are always full and you can overflow. Are you getting what I'm saying? When it comes to salvation, you will never doubt your salvation because God gave you the source of life. Never So condemnation cannot come close to you. God gave you the source of life. Are you learning something? Listen, I don't know why they don't preach this every day, everywhere. What else are you? Listen to me. 
you can gain mastery of and you can you can create a spring in another person just preach the gospel to him the bible says he who believes as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow so i am saved i have a spring i see this guy here I'm going to just preach him the gospel on the integrity of the scripture if he knows that Jesus died for his sins was buried and resurrected for his sins and he believes it that's all the spirit comes inside of him and creates a spring and you see what I'm saying ah that's the nature of the Holy Ghost it can be everywhere at the same time are you listening to me everywhere this is the reality of a man of the spirit Peter speaking about being born again in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. He says, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. He's likening being born again to being born of an incorruptible seed. The word there, the word seed there denotes the parentage of your birth. He says, by implication, your origin. He says, the man who is born again is born of an incorruptible origin. So don't think of just your earthly parentage. You have an incorruptible one. Are you with me? That's your heredity. That is, you are stemmed from God. That's what he's trying to teach you. You are born of God. You are stemmed from God. God is your father. Hey, are you getting this? Getting this? Think about this the next time things wear the heart. I've been born of an incorruptible seed. I'm going to teach you something next week. Even when you struggle with sin, I've been born of an incorruptible seed. So no matter what canal tries to come in, through and through, I'm a child of God. Hear what I said? Through and through, my parentage is of God. It cannot be corrupt. Your sin card can't get corrupt. That's the thing. Some of you think, ah, oh, when I sin, 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 sin. I will corrupt sin. It's a lie. It's incorrupt. It talks about ability of God to fulfill his word in your life. To see you, to preserve you till the end. So rather than the sin being corrupt, the sin will influence the phone. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Do you get that analogy? That's it. So you, you have to trust, you have to know who you are. A man of the spirit understands this. That's why a man of the spirit cannot be comfortable in sin. He knows his origin. So when people tell you that, you know, you cannot be saved and go on in sin, this is what they mean. Sin will irritate you. Nobody needs to be teaching you don't sin. Nobody has time for that. The Bible says they will know me from the beginning, to, from the first to the last. They, it says they will know that I am their God and they are my people. It says no man will teach any man again love the Lord. They will all know me because their heart has been changed. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Salvation is a change of heart. It's a transformation of heart and of desires. You are born of an incorruptible seed now. This is your reality. Please, are you listening to me? John speaks of the same topic in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves him. You know why I love this text? It doesn't say anything more than whosoever believes. All the texts we've been talking about, they say who is doing this, 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 about school, discipleship school, ministry school. He says, whoever does what? believe. Amen. He says, everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. Are you listening to me? So he who is born again is he that believes 
that Jesus died for their sins. His Lord, first of all, died for their sins, buried and rose again. Born of an incorruptible seed. Paul explains the same thing in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? So, who is the Son of God? When it says being led by the Spirit of God, it's not talking about directional leading. I'll tell you why. Go to two verses before. Media team. Let's read from verse 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Let's read together. Everybody want to go? Hey, are you people sleeping? All right, let's read together. I want to go. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Next verse. But you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if everyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not, he's doing a comparison between the flesh and what? The spirit. Next verse. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Same comparison, right? Next verse. But if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead would also give life to what? Your mother through. So everything he's talking about is by the spirit, right? Next verse. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Next verse. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deed of the body, you will live. Are you seeing that? Flesh, spirit. Next verse. For as many as are... What is the context principle? That you understand a phrase or a text in scripture with respect to the pretext and the post-text. Amen? So to understand the context, you must read what the pretext and the post-text. Meaning... The way the writer is using the word with respect to the flow of thought is the way you should understand the word. So being led here, has he said anything about directional leading? What is he talking about in being led? Being led by the Spirit. Is he talking go? No. Being led from the old man into the new man. Amen. So being led here is being saved. Is this clear? He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? sons of God. These are texts that the Bible begins to use to describe the man of the spirit. To describe someone who is born again. We've seen born again. We've seen sons of God. We've seen led of the spirit. Are you following me? And sonship is a concept. It's an important concept with respect to being born again. You see the apostles being, you know, teaching about sonship. And that's because they've heard Jesus teach about it as well. Jesus thought about being born again. Being born again. When Jesus thought about it, you know, he was the only one who was called the son of God at the time. You know, before the death of Jesus, he was called only begotten, monogenes. How many of you know that? He was the only begotten. And monogenes there means uniquely born. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Uniquely born, only begotten. He was the only one. If you see John chapter 1 verse 14, the Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we bear the glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Do you see that? Are you following me, everybody? First John, no, not first John. John 1 18. It says, No one has seen anyone before at any time, but the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, had what? Only begotten. You are seeing that word used again, right? John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody wants to go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Only what? Begotten son. Do you see that? Only begotten. Meaning he was the only one. 
uniquely born. That's the meaning of only begotten. But something interesting happened. After his death, he was never called the only begotten son again. Are you listening to me? After his death, he was never called what? The only, interestingly, when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he started using the word father. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, our father. How will he say our father when he was the only begotten of the father? Are you listening to me? In Matthew, your father was used 20 times. My father was used 15 times. In Mark, your father was used two times. My father was used two times. In Luke, your father was used four times. My father or the father was used eight times. In John, my father was used 80 times. John does not record the use of your father. If you go to John chapter 20 verse 17, the Bible says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brethren to say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. Quick note here. The use of the word my father here is what we call an aorist statement. Have you ever heard of that before? An aorist statement is when you talk about things that are going to happen in the future as though they are happening now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Things that will happen in the future as though they are happening now. And so when he says my father and your father, he was actually declaring the future because he had not yet died. God had not become their father. Is that you get what I'm saying? So he says, for example, when he says repent for the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God was not going to come until he died. Are you see what I'm saying? It was also Aorus. Is this clear? Are you getting what I'm saying? But after his death, he was no longer called monogenes. He was called prototokos. What does prototokos mean? First begotten. Prototype. Example. So, not only is Jesus the only begotten anymore, he's now the first begotten. Why? Hey, why? This is something that should give you joy. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, he says, and he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he must have preeminence, first begotten from the dead. Revelations 1 5, he says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead. Every time he says first begotten, he's adding of the dead. Hebrews, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, are you getting this? Why? Because when he was the only begotten, only him had that privilege to call God Father. But when he died, he called many sons to glory. He said, if I be lifted or high upon the earth, I will draw all men. The Bible says, except the corn of wheat falls to the ground, it abides alone. Only begotten son. He says, but if he falls to the earth, a corn of wheat there is a metaphor for the death of Jesus. He says, but if he falls to the ground, what will happen to it? It will multiply. The death of Jesus made it possible for you, me, you, you, you to be what? Sons. Are you seeing what I'm saying? To be what? Sons of God. Sons of God. So God, or Christ rather, is not the only begotten again. That's good news. He's not the only begotten again. That's why you can say in John chapter 20 verse... No, not John chapter 20 verse 17. Um, what text is that? That he says, I can call you brother. Are you seeing what I'm saying? In, in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, it says, It was fitting for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. Do you see that? In bringing many sons to glory. Please, are you following me? In bringing what? 
many sons to glory. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Sons of God. So how do you become a son of God? By receiving him. By believing him. How do you become a man of the spirit? By believing Christ. By receiving. Please, are you following me? He called it right. That's a legal term. Who is following me? Right to be sons of God. That's a legal term. Go back to Romans chapter 8 verse 14. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. I hope those of you online are still following. Don't get distracted. I want to always carry you along. We read this text right now. Are we? Alright, everybody read together now with understanding. For as many as led by the Spirit are what? You know how this happened? By the Spirit of God? Because Jesus is not the only begotten again. He's the first begotten. There's a right of sonship here. Next verse. For you did not receive the Spirit of again to what? But you've received what? Whereby you cry before you could not say that because God is not, was not your father. But now he says you've received the right of sonship. He says the spirit of adoption. You might not understand this. Let's read Galatians 4.1. This is the last thing I will explain as we round up. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 4. Oh, thank you Jesus for the right of sonship. Thank you that I can say I'm a child of God. I'm born again. I'm a man of the spirit. Thank you because I can say this. Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 to 7. I hope you are learning something. I hope this is blessing you. These are things. Let me tell you. This is foundational Christian doctrine. (laughs) This is foundational. Even me, I'm angry that they did not teach when I was born. <laughs> Amen. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's read together. One, two, go, everybody. As long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master. Does that make sense? That is, a heir is, is not different from a slave until later on, even though he's a master. Next verse. But is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed. He's painting to you a typical home. A slave can scold a hair because he's in charge of it until the appointed time. This is what I'm saying. The guardians look after the hair until the appointed time. Next verse. It says, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. Do you see that? When we were children, not the elements of this world. Next verse. But when the fullness of time had come, God came. So, for the longest time, you were under the bondage of sin. It says, when the appointed time came, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. Next verse. To redeem those who are under the law. That we might receive what? Adoption. 
You are seeing that word repeated again. Adoption. Next verse. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit into your heart, crying what? Is this the same as that other text? Next verse. Therefore, you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if son, listen to me, you are a heir of God, but it would not matter if you don't know it. And there is a legal action that must happen for you to fully come to your position as a heir. That's why I told you that story. You were under the elements of this world before. You didn't know who you were. All these things can play around with you. He says, but there's a time that will happen. When is the appointed time? That appointed time has happened. Jesus has come to die for you. Amen. But it will not accrue to you unless you know it. Are you listening to me? An appointed time will come. And there is going to be a written ordinance. And that written ordinance is the spirit. That would show the world that you are no longer a slave. You are now a son. Listen, you might not understand this if you don't understand the Roman culture. Are you listening to me? Listen, in Jewish culture, adoption was not common. It was not normal. I thought this in camp meeting. It was not normal. That is why when a woman loses her husband, Jewish custom would say that the brother should marry her if she has no child. Reason being that she can't adopt a son to carry her family line. She would have to give birth to a child by the brother, but that child would not be the son of that brother. The first child would be the son of the one that died and carry the name of the one that died so his family name does not die. Are you listening to me? Because they didn't believe in, ado- in adoption. But listen, in the Roman Empire, it was different. That's why Paul says that, you know, the spirit of God dwells in you, the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Father, Father. He wrote again to the Galatian church. He says there is a spirit of adoption. Adoption was more common with the Romans. And how did they do it? Well, there were a few exceptions in the Roman culture. And a few, anyways, it was not an exception. It was normal. Where a person can choose a fully grown man, not even a child, and adopt him. Even, you can even adopt someone older than you. And so when you die, everything that is yours belongs to, belongs to the adopted child. I get what I'm saying. And that process in Roman law is called adrogatio. A-D-R-O-G-A-T-I-O. And what is adrogatio? I'll explain it again. It's the formal adoption of an adult person by another individual, typically someone who was older or had a higher social class. It was a rare procedure and was often used for specific legal inheritance purposes. So, adrogatio was done. And when you're doing adrogatio, another thing you must understand is something called the power of the father. What is the power of the father? In Roman homes and many African homes, the father had something called, we don't have it legally in African homes, but in Roman law, they had it legally. A father has something called the power of the father. Meaning, he controls everything that has to do with the child. He owns everything. Are you seeing what I'm saying? The power of the father. He owns and controls everything that has to do with the children, the household. He could sell them if he wanted. He could do whatever he liked with them. He had such an enormous power over his family. The only way to break from the power of the father is by another legal process called emancipatio. Don't worry about the words. Pay attention to the meaning. Amen? Or atrogatio. What did I tell you atrogatio is? 
legal adoption. That's the only way to break away from the power of the father. So, when this happened, a few things will happen. They will go and they will sign an atrogatio before the magistrate, transferring the power of the father from the current father to the new father. So, a man can go to someone and say, I'm about to die. I don't have any child. I want to perform an adrogatio with your son. I will give you so, so, so. But I will have this now. Now, listen and pay attention. There are a few implications of adrogatio. Number one is the transfer of the power of the father. And at this point, that's the biggest consequence. Paternal authority is given to the new father. Control and of everything that has to do with that child's life is given to the new father legally the new father controls everything now note it becomes a legal crime to adopt with former family or to even bear their name <laughs> do you hear what I said they can arrest you for claiming sonship to that child so if the child comes to visit you and the new father claims kidnapping, they'll go arrest you. Are you getting what I'm saying? Number two, inheritance rights. The adopters, the, adopt, the, the, adopt, the new people that are adopting gain full rights. Rather, no, not the adopters. The child gains every right under the new family. Meaning, he carries their name, he carries their signet, it carries their property and it carries all the inheritance. So you could have been a slave before, but if you are adopted by a rich family, does not ah, that's the answer. You are a rich man. Nobody can argue it. You can take your name to court any day, and you have claim to everything that your new father has. Please, are you listening to me? You have claim to listen, they can have a real child. Eh? and if you are older and the father sets you as the one ahead it's you that will get everything and the legitimate it's not, you can't even call that child legitimate both of you are legitimate are you seeing what I'm teaching you both of you are legitimate another thing is change of name your name has been changed another thing is loss of right of the biological father you lose every right that you had under the formal and then there's alienation of the biological father. He becomes a stranger to you. Are you listening to me? Note again, all ties that held you to that former family has been severed. If that former, former family was in a debt of 5 million naira, they designed that paper, it's no more your business. Hey. It's so bad that if they could make it biological self, that any sickness they had safe, if they can cut it, they will cut it for you. Nothing ties you to that old family anymore. And the Bible says you receive the spirit of adoption. This was what Paul was teaching. Every ties to your former life has been severed. Are, are you listening to me? Every debt you owed is not your business anymore. I say, ah, before I came to Christ, you don't know who I was or me, Scorpion. It does not matter that you were Scorpion. Amen. Why are you laughing? Can you relate to what I'm saying? 
Amen? He said, me, Scorpion. It does not matter that you are Scorpion. Now, your name is the name of Christ. You have a new name. Your paternity is, ah, is incorruptible. It's from God. It does not matter who you used to be before. Are you listening to me? All ties have been broken. You are now the son of God. You are now the child of God. You are now born again. You are now born of the spirit. And guess what? You are a heir of God. And you have a great inheritance. Hey, Ephesians. Chapter 1 tells us, he says, you have a great inheritance. That's why Paul prayed. He says that you receive wisdom and revelation by his spirit that you may know all that God has for you. Your great and rich inheritance. So, you have a rich inheritance. It will not matter if you don't know. You have a rich inheritance. Say, I have a rich inheritance. Say, and in 2024, I will walk like it. I will talk like it. I would act like it. No more will I be condemned. No more will I be deceived. I will walk in the newness of life and in the newness of my reality. I will walk as a man of the spirit with authority, with power, with signs, with wonders. Can you rise up on your feet, everybody? I'm going to turn that to prayer. No longer will I walk like the old man. I will walk as a new man. Because I'm not the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a man of the spirit. And it will be evident. It will be evident. Can you begin to pray wherever you are? we will see the evidence of the indwelling of the spirit in our lives in this new year we will be assured of our salvation like never before we will walk in the spirit we will walk in authority we will walk in freedom can you pray I've been adopted into the family of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. All the rights of this new family are now mine. Are now mine. Every authority of this new family is now mine. Is now mine. Is now mine. Is now mine. I walk like it. I talk like it. I speak like it. The songs that I sing are filled with this reality. This is my reality. This is my reality. This is my reality. This is my reality. Declare it wherever you are. Pray, 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 pray. This is my reality. This is my reality. This is my reality. I stand by faith in what you've done. I'm completing all you've done. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. Legally, I'm justified. I'm justified. All my sins have been washed away. They've been paid. I'm justified. Legally, I'm justified. Legally, I'm justified. Legally. Can you begin to declare? I morph into God's version of me. I'm transformed into God's version of me. There's a metamorphosis that happens. It will be evident that I'm a man of the spirit. It will be evident that I'm a man of the spirit. It will be evident that I'm a man of the spirit. It will be evident. 
Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. I want you to do something like someone who knows his reality. I want you to rejoice like it. Like someone who has expressed a drogatio. Glory! 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 I don't think you people know what it means to express a drogatio. When you used to belong to a family that was tending to death, they owed a debt of five billion. This was not even money. A debt of sin. Tending to death. Now someone tells you, you sign at Rukashio. Your evidence is the spirit. The paperwork is the spirit. You've been adopted. Are you ready to rejoice? Come on, rejoice! Glory! Hallelujah! Amen. Glory to God.